Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Father-in-law, Chris Berglund, will be uh, teaching this morning. Um, and uh, um, as far as like it goes into uh, learning about grace and coming into understanding of my identity in Christ, when I met my wife, um, just kind of God blew the cap off of the religious mindset that I had and like started to really teach me about who he was and who I was. It was an amazing journey, and she got most of the stuff, obviously, from learning from Chris and Susan, my father-in-law and mother-in-law. But um, anyway, so it's, we're in for a treat this morning, um, having to speak. So Chris, if you want to come on up. Um, I've never really introduced a speaker before. I don't know if that's pretty obvious, but anyway, that's, that's, his, that's about all I got right there. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he just like shot up like through the floor like with smoke and stuff. And <laughs> it's like Grace Church. <laughs> well, it's great to be be back. Uh, I shared a little bit on a Wednesday night, and I may take maybe ten minutes to review part of that that I think is foundational for where I'm going to go today. But I I want to kind of build. I hopefully on what Lloyd's been teaching for the last years. Um, we've been coming on and off for I don't know how many months now. I am out of town a lot on weekends, so we don't get to always come. Susan's coming more often than I do. But we're thrilled to be here. Um, I want to start, I like to start by sharing a couple of testimonies uh, because I think it's important as we grow in the Lord that we're provoked uh, by those who are seeing things that maybe we're not seeing. I heard a testimony this week of a, a, there's a guy in a house of prayer in uh, Oregon, and uh, he, he has an experience where he was translated to where Enoch was, or Enoch was translated to where he was. He wasn't sure. And uh, he was talking to Enoch, and Enoch was surrounded by all these children, and they were all laughing and smiling and playing. And, and uh, Enoch said to him, do you see all these children? And he said, yeah, they're awesome, beautiful kids. And he said, yeah, they were translated here because of your intercession. They were sex slaves in different countries. And as you were interceding for them, the Lord took them from their difficult circumstances and brought them to be with him. Pretty interesting, amazing encounter. Um, it, It touched my heart deeply because I think in the grace movement, we've oftentimes come into feeling so good about ourselves that we forget what our eternal purpose is and our mandate is to become love, release love, and and to be those uh, intercessors, missionaries in the workplace or wherever. But intercession is is part of what we lose, I think, at times in in the grace movement. I hate to see that, or we lose the prophetic, or we lose these things that we are so dear and powerful to us. And uh, when you start hearing testimonies of what is accomplished in prayer, you're like, wow, that's what, that's what I'm doing. I'll, I'll, I love the intercession because it actually, it, it, it steward, stewards that which was already finished on the cross. We get to steward the, 
the fullness of the activity of the cross on earth. Our prayer doesn't heal people and our prayer doesn't bring revival. The prayer of faith does. The, you know, we're, we're saved by grace through faith. What does that mean, we're saved by grace through faith? It means that as we put our f- faith in truth, grace comes and makes that a reality in our life. So faith is the key. Uh, otherwise, what happens in the prayer movement, and, and uh, Susan and I got thrown into the prayer movement because we became best friends with Lou Engel in 1984, and he is a prayer movement in himself. You know, he's rocking 24-7. And, but it's, you know, uh, praying without ceasing is not rocking 24-7, and it's not praying at a mic 24-7. It's communing with an indwelling Christ and having a relationship with him there in that place. You are praying without ceasing because your heartbeat is his heartbeat. You're seeing with his eyes. You're moving with his heart. And I think we've disqualified ourselves oftentimes. I think uh, oftentimes parents disqualify themselves because their kids aren't walking with the Lord or because their spouse has left them or because of a hundred other reasons. And and, uh, their identity is in their kids or in their spouse, and our identity is in the Lord. And so the Lord is like, you know what? If your kids aren't walking with the Lord, it, it's not, uh, you know, the enemy will come and say, it's all your fault because you didn't know grace. You gave them the law, and now they're all screwed up. I mean, I may have felt that in the secret place. You're like, man, I really screwed up my kids. And the Lord is saying to us, no, he wants us to think positive. He wants, he, more than ever right now, your kids need you to come into the fullness of who you are in him. To come in, see our our weaknesses and our mistakes are no match for the grace and mercy of God. See, it's all about repentance and mercy. Repentance is metanoia in the New Testament. Metanoia means to take a new mind, think differently. So I repent, say God, I didn't know that. I would have trained up my kids differently had I known that. That's repentance. It's not me weeping over it. It can be, but it it's simply a change of mind. I change my mind, and mercy comes. And his mercy comes and is much more powerful than any of my weakness. His mercy comes and says, Chris, take a stand as the light of the world because they will come back to you. You know, Psalm 112, how does it go? It says something. Your children will be great on the earth as you fear the Lord and heed his commandments. Your children will be mighty on the earth. We have to exalt truth above our circumstances. And I'm concerned that we've made our circumstances bigger than truth. Like when we're praying for healing. And, uh, you know, I, I remember many years ago, we were praying for a stillborn baby. Hold, we held that baby for an hour. Three of us, Pat, Lou and myself and other, we were passing that baby, praying for it, commanding it to come back to life. It didn't come back to life. That circumstances didn't change my belief in healing. It made me realize I need to grow into who Christ is because he wouldn't have had the problem I'm having. It, sometimes we use our circumstances and we change truth or, or we changed uh, things a hundred times over. And Lord, the Lord's saying, no, Chris, exalt truth above your circumstances. You're going to grow. And, and you don't get mad at yourself. You say, Lord, I did the best I could. This is what I knew. And the Lord is saying, Chris, continue because I want to manifest my life. This is who I am. I'm a healing God. You know, when it says we're, by, we're saved by grace through faith, that, that word safe, uh, be, being saved is sozo. It means being uh, saved, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole. It doesn't mean being translated into heaven. We've, we've made the gospel all about getting, going from earth to heaven. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It doesn't even say that in scripture. It's about 
it's about uh, the, the glory and the exaltation of the cross is not about going to heaven. It's about becoming love. It's about becoming who we were in the original intent in the garden when God made us in his image. He made us to be lovers. And then men fell and men became self-centered and self-justified and self-preservation and all the self-issues. And God is restoring us. Brenda read, uh, or she quoted Luke 2, and I thought, this is a great verse. It's, it says this in Luke 2. We usually just reserve it for Christmas, but he said he, uh, she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in and swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about him, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy to all the people. It's interesting, the angelic realm, those that are with the Lord, they only speak what the Lord speaks. They come from his presence, if we understand scripture, they proclaim what they hear from God. They're coming to earth, and he's saying, the angel's proclaiming, good news is coming, good news, great joy, glad tidings, of, however it goes. Peace, he's bringing peace on the earth. Well, what is God, and then, he, and then it says a couple of verses later, and suddenly there was with them an angel, a multitude of angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Isn't that interesting? Basically, God is saying, God is saying, I am awesome. Glory to me. Because they're repeating what they're hearing. God's saying, glory to me in the highest. You know, peace to his people on earth. What is he seeing? He's seeing that his son is coming as savior to redeem his people from their sins. We see a baby, a baby lying in a manger. And God the father is saying, I see a son who's a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And this is exciting because he's going to deliver people from their sin, put them back into original intent, and I'm going to fill them with my presence, and they're going to become love. There's a more excellent way. That more excellent way is becoming love. Before he talks about spiritual gifts, he says there's a more excellent way because you can sell all... It says if you had... You can have all faith to move every mountain. You can have... Uh, how, what else did he say? You can... You can know all mysteries, not some mysteries, but all mysteries. We would make that guy the, the, you know, the keynote speaker at the next world conference. That's Jesus. He's all mysteries, all faith to move all mountains. And he says, but it's nothing if you don't have love. He's saying the more excellent way is becoming love and then pursuing uh, and then desiring spiritual gifts because the gifts are to flow. They're, they're the manifestation of love. If you walk in love, you'll move in gifts. That's where discernment comes from. You're, you're communing with the indwelling Christ, and the gifts start flowing from you because that's who he is. In uh, 1 John 4, it says, the measuring stick for, uh, for knowing God is that we love others. Right? 1 John 4. Let me read that. Kind of jumping around here, but let me, let me jump a little bit. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of a God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
In this, the love of God was manifest towards us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. What he's saying is that love is realized and recognized in the giving of his son. The love of God is realized and recognized in the giving of his son. It, it's, the love of God is realized in Christ crucified, period. It's not, it's not realized in your, uh, it's not found in your circumstances. It can be experienced, but it's not found. And this is really important because we have to establish once and for all that God loves me because of what Christ did on the cross, period. Now, now, you, now you're, uh, you're unmoved when your car breaks down or your, your child dies or because you don't say, God, I thought you loved me. Why did my son die? I thought you loved me. Why did, my, why, why did I lose my job? And God's saying, no, I loved you when I sent my son for you. I loved you, and while you were yet sinners, I died for you. You have to establish that fact, or what will, what will happen is we will reduce the love of God. He will, God will have to keep proving himself every time our circumstances change us. He'll have to prove his love to us and say, well, I better answer her prayer because I need to prove my love. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, periods, it's established. See, it, it, Otherwise, we get confused about the love of God. We start questioning the love of God. And if you question the love of God, you'll never be rooted and grounded in love. Faith works by love. If faith is not working by love, then it's driven by need. And we'll, re- we'll reduce this gospel to a, a book of principles. And in our time of need, we'll come to it. And that's not relationship. That's not intimacy. That's law and religion. And it's dead. And we wonder why it doesn't work. It doesn't work because that's not the gospel. The gospel is that he established his love, in a, love for us while he, we were sinners. He, Christ died for us. So, so once we know that, now we can ride through life no matter what hits us. We're established in love. So the, and now it's all about me manifesting Christ. He doesn't want to deliver us from our circumstances Oftentimes, he wants us to manifest his glory. So we talked about this last time. If you have a, a boss that you go to work with and he's mean to you and calling you stupid and ugly and you go home and your spouse or your friend or your roommate says, how was your day today? He says, terrible. It really sucked because my boss is so mean to me. I don't know what to do. Well, what, is, what, would Jesus, what, what does Jesus do in us? He returns good for evil. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You're to be the light in that situation. It, it's the glory of God for us to live in a situation where we have an evil, abusing uh, boss, and we can be love and light to that person. We, we're the most dangerous person in that man's life or that woman's life because we're releasing a force that's more powerful than any force he has. The only reason he's treating you like that is because he doesn't know who he is and he doesn't know who you are. If he knew who he was, he wouldn't treat you like that. And if he knew who... I, I am or you are, he wouldn't treat you like that. We're the bride of Christ. We're the very uh, son of our father. And no man is going to mess with God's son, God's bride, if they're smart. But they do. We get to manifest Christ's light and love. And that's our job description on earth. So in our, in our diversity of giftings and a diversity of callings, we have unity. Our, we're unified in our eternal purpose, which is to manifest Christ. We're unified together. Mercy wakes me up tomorrow so I have another day to manifest Christ. 
to become love. Mercy wakes me up the neck. If you don't know that mercy is waking you up to manifest love, then you'll wake up kind of bummed out like, oh, I'm tired, you know, I, I don't really like my job, and I don't get paid very much. No, it's none of that. None of that's significant. What's significant is that mercy's woken me up. I, I, get to, I get to manifest the very image of my Father because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. And like Brenda was saying, it comes back to faith. Like we said, you know, Prayer, prayer heals nobody. It's the prayer of faith. It's knowing what was accomplished in the finished work of the cross. And that is what changes things. So it, otherwise, we would be working harder in prayer. We'd try to pray like Lou Engel or Noel Alexander. We'd try to pray like Mike Bickle or Lloyd Rendell's. We'd try to pray differently and work harder. And it's not about that. It's about knowing what Christ has done and being a steward on the earth and making declarations and proclamations over the stewardship of what he's accomplished on the cross. He's accomplished healing on the cross. Now I get to pray that into, into manifestation because it already exists. It's already here. And I get to steward. I have the privilege and honor of stewarding something that Christ died for. It's pretty awesome. So we see the power of, of intercession with this guy in Oregon who has all these... Uh, young children that were translated from their abusive place on earth out of their closets into his very presence because there was, God found an intercessor in Oregon to pray for them. I just love those stories. It, it provokes me to the core. I want to be an intercessor like that. I want to know what you've accomplished on the cross and give my life to it and see your will manifest because your will is that those children will be made whole. Remember, sozo, preserved, delivered, protected, made whole, uh, come into fullness of Christ. I shared last time about a friend of ours, Neville Johnson's daughter died in the mid-90s, and, and there was a plane crash on the East Coast, and uh, ne- Neville's daughter now is a cloud of witnesses, and Neville is still here with us. He's a little bit older man who's been walking with the Lord for many years. And she visits him periodically. I mean, she just does. And I, that's, this is what was really helpful for me to meet Noel was I had a smaller box. I grew up in a Baptist church, so my box was really small at one point. It was like, you know, I could fit God into that box pretty nice. And then God healed my shoulder when I was 18 years old, and my box started getting bigger. I'm like, wow, God's into healing. This is awesome. But more than that, he was into healing. I thought he really loves me. I thought he loved people that were doing well. I'm just living in the world, and he loves me. This is crazy. Who is this guy? Your box get bigger, and then you meet someone like Neville Johnson, or, and uh, he starts telling you that he's visiting with the cloud of witnesses, and I'm thinking, that's crazy. But then you start reading Revelation, the last chapter in Revelation, two chapters prior to the last chapter. John falls down at the feet of an angel, and the angel says, don't worship me, I'm one of your brothers of prophets. And then we see in, in Scripture, we see the cloud of witnessing showing up to the apostles, and we think, oh, this is, this is Christianity. This is part of our inheritance, is to actually co-labor with those that have gone before us. We've relegated them to these bleachers, and they're just cheering us on. I think they are cheering us on, obviously, but they're... Some of them have been given to earth to, to help us, to run with us. And here's the story. Here's, the, here's how, you know, pretty soon you hear so many stories, all of a sudden you have no box left. It's just, God, you, you're crazy. You can do anything. This is awesome. And this is one of these stories for me was when this plane crashes in the mid, ni- late, mid to late 90s off the East Coast. You can Google it. 
all, everyone dies. They don't know why it crashed. They thought maybe it was friendly fire from the government, conspiracy theorists, uh, whatever. I, I, I kind of am a conspiracy theorist, so that could, that's a good possibility. But <laughs> whatever the case, whatever happened with that plane, uh, this, this uh, Neville's daughter was, came to Neville and says, Daddy, I, the Lord sent me on that plane. I witnessed everyone on that plane, and many gave their heart to the Lord. And he, he said to uh, uh, and then she said to him, it was in response to the prayers of the family members and the loved ones on earth that I responded to. When you guys pray here, not only does he use you, not only does he use the angelic realm, but he uses the cloud of witnesses. We're all co-laboring together. We all have eternal giftings and callings. And isn't that awesome to think that you can be praying and God may send Enoch or Elijah or some widow that you never knew and be the answer to your intercession. Or you can be praying for the sex slave children of the world, and God can be snatching them out. They're disappearing literally from these houses, and like, where did that person go? Nobody cares because they don't miss them that much anyway. They're just using them, and, but they're taken out, literally taken out. That's amazing to me. It's beautiful to me, and it's God. It's like this is the God that I serve, where there's no limitations, no boundaries, and intercession is so awesome. And so we, we, we start realizing that intercession is, is not anything about the way we, uh, it's not about the way we pray, you know. I try to pray better so God hears my prayers. If you have faith, even wrong prayers get an incredible boom from heaven, an incredible response from heaven. He's not looking at you. He's not judging you about how you're praying. He's looking at what do you believe Jesus said, Your work, our work is to believe. Our work is to believe in all that will happen on the cross and then be stewards and implemented on planet Earth, co-labor with him. We're seated with him in heavenly places. We need to see who we are in Christ. As we see, who we, as we see ourselves the way Christ sees us, we start living differently. And so revelation is key, isn't it? We have to see who we are. I start looking in the mirror and I start, like that guy, you're righteous, you're pure, you're holy, you're accepted, you're awesome. Have you said that to the mirror? Go to the mirror and say, you're awesome. I, I, I spent a lot of time with me and it's fun. And you spend a lot of time with, it would be a bummer if you spent a lot of time with yourself and you didn't have any fun. It's like, this is, I, I enjoy talking to Christ within me. It's fun. He's, he's my friend. We, we go places together. He lives in me. And that's the, that's the glory of the gospel. Christ in us, the hope of glory. glory. Glory means the very nature of God. We get to manifest his nature because he's in us. We are the body of Christ. We are the embodiment of Christ. We're God's prime real estate. He, we're his house. He's chosen to live with. He could have chosen any place in the universe or past the universe to live in, and he chose to live in you. That's pretty awesome. He must love you. you he must think you're pretty important. He must think you're awesome. Why don't you think you're awesome? Because the enemy comes and beats you down and says, you're not awesome, you're ugly, you're stupid, and, and uh, you're not even that. And God says, no, this is who you are. You're beautiful, you're my beloved, you're, you're lovely, I've imparted my spirit to you. He doesn't see you according to your behavior. He sees you according to what he's placed in you, his spirit. So when he's looking at you, he's not seeing all your failures. He's looking at what you can become and he's calling you forth. God didn't say to any one of us, well, Chris, you know, I gave you all these chances and you finally came to me. I'm just going to have to talk to the, you know, the 12 apostles and see if you're good enough to come in now, but you you took too long. He He didn't say that. 
like when you came to him, it was like everyone was happy and fulfilled and it was glorious. And you're like, this is awesome. I, I wasted my life for so many years and now I've given my heart to him and he thinks it's just wonderful. Because he, when he sees you, he doesn't see your past failures. He sees himself. 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold the Lord in a mirror, we're changed from glory to glory. As we beho- what do you see when you look in a mirror? See yourself. As we behold the Lord in us, we're changed from glory to glory. We've got to see the Lord in us. We don't see our failures. You can, but if you do, you'll never have intimacy with the Lord. You'll never have great intimacy with the Lord if you're looking at your life according to your behavior. When you start looking at yourself according to his deposit in you, your life changes. And the revelation kicks in. You realize, I'm no longer that person. I'm a new creation. All those things I did prior, they weren't even me. It wasn't even me. I'm a new creation in Christ. Why am I taking responsibility for the old person? That's not who I am. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. And so that's, that's our opportunity is to, jo- to, to judge no man after the flesh. So we don't look at each other according to behavior. We look at each other and say, I can see your potential of what God's created in you, the giftings and callings of God, what he's given in you, because the spirit, of, the spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you as just the same way, and now it's my responsibility to love you and to call you forth, to love that boss who's treating you evil and mean and calling you stupid and ugly, and to love him and call him into who he is. He doesn't know who he is. He's an empty cup, you know, and many of our parents were uh, empty cups. They didn't have anything to give. And then, and then we've relegated our life. Well, I'll never amount to anything because my dad told me I never would or whatever. It's like, no, who cares what he said? He was an empty cup. He didn't know who he was. He had nothing to give you. We had to have compassion on him. He didn't know who he was. It's, it's sad. It should break your heart. We cry for people. And we, we don't cry because of people. We, people that cry because of people, it's because you're offended. But when you're... When you know who you are, you're unoffendable. Nobody can hurt you anymore because you don't need their approval because you have his approval. I don't need you to know me because he knows me. It's great to know each other, but I don't need that to be affirmed in my life because he's affirmed me and he's called me beloved and he's called me lovely and he's accepted me. He's called me favor. He's called me all these things and now I'm happy. And now I can, I can freely love you because it's not based on what you do or don't do for me. You owe, you owe no man anything but love, right? And so when I don't receive love from anyone, why can I be offended? I can't be offended. That's the old man that gets offended. That's self. I'm no longer in self. I'm in Christ. And so Christ doesn't get offended. If, if anyone had the opportunity, you know, if anyone was justified in getting offended, it was Jesus going to the cross and all of his friends fleeing him and Peter denying him. And one of them, you know, in Mark 14, it says one of them, was trying to get away, and his clothes fell off, and he ran away naked. He was scared, but he, he saved himself. You know, Jesus didn't say, oh, guys, you left me in my time of need. Man, you're just hurting me. I'm just hurt, and I'm miserable, and I really needed you, and you left, and I'm offended. Jesus, if that sounds silly to Jesus, it should sound silly to you because Christ is in you, right? That sounds silly, doesn't it? Christ didn't go to the cross and he didn't call out, you know, Peter and Judas and John and say, you all, you all left me in my time of need. He, he, on the way actually after the cross and on the way to heaven, Mary came to him and he said, Rabboni, Rabboni. And he said, don't touch me, Mary, but go tell the brethren 
that I'm going to the mercy seat to sprinkle the blood, but I'm coming back. He used covenant language, go tell my brethren. Go tell the ones that I'm dying for because he wasn't looking at them based on their failure. He was looking at them based on what they would become when he came in and filled them with his spirit. That's pretty awesome. I can prove to you Jesus never got offended, never got hurt by anyone because Corinthians 13 says there's no selfishness in love and love takes no account of a suffered wrong. Corinthians 13.5 says, love thinks no evil. That word thinks means takes account, records. It records no suffered wrong against you. Jesus was not recording Peter's denial against him because love doesn't do that and God was manifest love and neither should we. But if I ask you, if I ask us, how many in our relationships have recorded things suffered wrong against us versus we take no account of suffered wrong, how well are we doing with love? It just proves to us we, need, we know we have a need of a Savior, but we don't know it's about transfiguration, about transformation. The gospel is not, uh, not about needing just needing a Savior. It's about that Savior becoming our very life. It's not incorporating God into our life. It's Christ becoming our life. That's the gospel. And so now we think differently. We live differently. No man can offend us when we are loved because love takes no account of suffered wrong. We realize when people come against us and and do wrong against us, we realize they're doing it because they don't know who they are. They don't know who we are. Let's help them find out what they were created for. Their purpose was to become love. They don't know that. They're empty cups. Don't blame your life on your father because, or your husband who's been gone for six months or, or 12 months or 12 years or left you. you. You don't have to, you know, well, well, he just wasn't nice to me. Well, Jesus never stopped being nice to you. Your life is not, your identity is not dependent upon your spouse or your children or your friends. Your identity is founded in the very life of a Savior who's filled us with his presence and he's called us to sit with him in heavenly places. And it's simply a matter of, uh, of putting faith in truth and letting grace make that a reality in our life. So we exalt, we exalt truth above circumstances and we're changed and we're transfigured. We, 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 we go through the truth to the truth of the truth so the truth of the truth makes the truth true in our experience. <laughs> We go through the truth, which is the word, to the truth of the truth, which is Christ. So the truth of the truth, Christ, makes the truth, the word, true in our experience. Christ is our experience. He is our life. We don't incorporate him into life. On a bad day, we don't ask him to come and visit us. He is our life. We find it, and when we find him, we find life. And we get to, we get to pray without ceasing because we commune night and day with an indwelling friend who's there and we're not speaking to ourselves. We look like we are sometimes, but we're talking to our best friend. He's living inside me, and I'm talking to him. He likes talking. He's got a lot of information to share with me. He's got a lot of insight. He's got a lot of revelation. It's a good thing to ask questions. I, had a, I know a guy that asked, the Lord asked him a question. The Lord said, uh, why do people die of secondhand smoke? <laughs> and the guy goes, I don't know. And the Lord said, because they believe they can. And he was, he was telling this man how, how powerful faith is. When you believe something, it becomes a reality in your life, and it changes your life. When you believe who you are, accepted, loved, favored, holy, Hebrews 10, he is, 
He's made us holy, perfected us. When you believe that, you live differently. But we have to see, we have to see who we are before we, uh, we have to see who we, we are and who we've become before we actually live it out. That's why Jesus kept saying in a couple chapters, you say, but I say. You say, hate your enemies, but I say, love your enemies. You say, what do we say? We need to line up with truth exalted above life and start letting his light shine. Because your children need you. The children that have made terrible choices, we blamed it on ourselves and say, well, if I just would have been a better, and, and I can raise my hand. There's things I just did. I'm like, God, I just didn't know. I did the best I could. I don't think anyone at 25 is fit to be a parent to you. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but we were. And uh, we were parents. And, and then, then you're 55, you're like, now I'm probably just about ready, Lord. And it's... You, but that's why grandchildren come along. You get to love and hold on them and whisper sweet things in their ears. And <clears throat> but, but that's why mercy triumphs over your weakness. That's why repentance and mercy are awesome. It's like I repent, I changed my mind, I screwed up, I was stupid. And Jesus said, no problem. My grace is sufficient. My mercy is more powerful than your weakness. Your children are going to be okay. Don't be deceived by the clock on the wall or the calendar. You're expecting them to come next month or next year. Just stand in faith. They'll come. They'll come because truth is exalted. They'll come back to the Lord. They'll leave, they'll leave their deception. They're just veiled. That's all there is. They're veiled. Their eyes do not see. They're veiled. And you can't, you can't just go over there and rip that thing off all the time. You just have to let the Lord do it the way he does it. And you have to stand in faith and say, no, Lord, I am. You've given me promises that truth is exalted. And uh, my son, my daughter's returning to you. I see it. I see it. So I see it. No one can take that from you. You don't, you, you, you don't lose your, your productivity because your children are not walking with the Lord or your spouse left. You say, no, this is a great time for you to fulfill all that you've called to. Live in the light and the light and the love of Christ. Be the intercessor from Salem or the, or the gal from, you know, the cloud of witness. Well, you don't want to be here yet because then you have to die, but be the guy in Oregon. Become love. So let me, let me end with one, one verse I really like. This is in uh, Matthew 15. It says, Jesus uh, went out from and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region, cried out to him, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demonized, demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, but even the little ones eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered the woman and said to her, Woman, great is your faith. Here's the picture. When I first read that, that passage, I, thought, I really thought Jesus was in a bad mood. Because here comes this gal, her, her daughter's demon says, possessed, and Jesus says, just go away. He, he, first he ignores her, then he tells her to go away, and then, she, then he tells her she's a dog. I didn't come to feed the dogs, whatever, whatever. I'm thinking, Jesus, you're really having a rough day. I, I don't think I want to be near you that day. 
I didn't understand what he was doing. And, it, and then, you know, his disciples are saying, send her away. She troubles the master. And then I, and, and then I started seeing differently. I said, here's what, here's what really happened in the story. Jesus sees this woman coming from far away, and he's like, look at this one's faith. This is awesome. He sees faith coming to him. She's not going to be denied. She's coming, and he's, he's telling these 12 guys that aren't doing so well with their faith, and he's saying, guys, I'm going to show you what truth, true faith looks like. In the midst of uh, slow responses, seemingly being ignored, faith perseveres. Faith comes, and then Jesus says, Jesus was never going to disqualify this gal. He was simply qualifying her to show what real faith looked like. He said, you 12 guys have not done so well. I want to show you what real, real faith looks like. It's not denied. In the face of being called names, it just presses on and says, no, Jesus, you're the only one that can do this for me. And, she, and he says, great is your faith. He only says that a few times to people, and it's always Gentiles. Isn't it interesting? Why it's Gentiles? I think it's, the reason it's Gentiles is because the, the Jews were under the law, and they, they couldn't get free from They thought they had to earn faith, and the Gentiles just came and said, no, nah, you're the only one that can hands, help me. I don't know anything about your laws. I just want you. I need your help. I heard you can heal, heal me. And Jesus is great as your faith. So we don't, we, we, we come to him, we, we get his perspective. And when we start seeing through his eyes, we start seeing differently. All scripture just opens up to us. And we're like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Father, we, we thank you that, that you've opened our eyes to seeing, Lord. We, we pray that you would lead us into the full manifestation of the sons of God, Lord, that we would, we would set our sight on a fullness, Lord, in this life, Lord. Nothing would hold us back from the inheritance that you died for, Lord. We just say yes and amen. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name.